In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I feel like I don't even need to get up here and preach. We've heard the good news spoken over us. We've heard it sung over us already. This year, between the church and the school, we are offering five different opportunities for a service of lessons and carols. And you can see already why. It is so good for us to hear again and again that we need a Savior and that a Savior has come in Jesus Christ our Lord. When we read Genesis, we're reminded, yes, indeed, we do need a Savior. We need hope from outside of ourselves, from outside of fallen creation. God brings us a Savior from beyond, His own Son, born in the flesh, God made man. Two lessons bookend our worship today. In both Genesis 3 and in Luke chapter 1, we see two different kinds of proclamations from the Lord and two very different human responses to God's proclamation. Adam and Eve hear the command of the Lord and they respond with a proud no. Mary hears, and she responds with a brave and humble yes to God's news, even though it would cause her great hardship and suffering. What is it that causes Mary to respond with obedience instead of with sinful rebellion to God's proclamation? What is it about a proclamation, a command from outside of us, too, that makes us want to rebel? I think sometimes when we hear a command from someone in authority over us, uh, we might feel like children in those peanut strips, comic, uh, peanut, peanuts comic strips. When we hear that command from outside of ourselves, how often do you hear, wah, 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 wah? I think, too, of the response I used to have as a teenager. Every teenager who's been to high school has experienced an announcement or a command coming over the PA system. Every room has that scratchy speaker. Sometimes you can't even hear what the principal is saying. But no matter if you're cool and you outwardly mock it or if you're a goody-goody like me and you inward, you nod and say, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. Inside every teenager, there's a giant eye roll at this voice of authority speaking from outside of us. Well, in Genesis, the Lord commanded Adam and Eve, saying, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Both Adam and Eve fall into sin because they rebel against this pronouncement. You might think, well, what is so bad about eating that fruit? It doesn't seem particularly immoral. Very often when we think of the word sin and the idea of sin in our lives, we look at those things that are so blatantly sinful for all to see that we look at this eating of the fruit and we think, well, that's not so bad, is it? But at the very root of their action of rebellion, There is a fundamental disbelief and distrust of God. Sin can be so subtle in its rebellion. Have you ever been found out? 
Have you ever been caught in sin in such a way that you felt public shame for it, even if only one other person knew? I had this happen recently, and it was so obvious to me and someone else, and I thought, woe is me, I am a sinner, I was so repentant, and I thought I should be like that every day, every week when I confess my sins. Why is it only when it's so blatantly obvious on the outside that my contrition feels so much more heartfelt? Sin is on the inside as well as on the outside. Outward deeds and actions are just the tip of the iceberg, and they are arguably less pernicious than those sins that lurk in the dark under the cold water of our hearts. Having an older brother means that you are inevitably the butt of many practical jokes. I remember one time when I was about nine years old, my brother looked at me with shock and concern in his face. He leaned down and protectively wrapped his arm around my shoulder. He looked at me and he said very soberly, I just want to catch you before anyone else notices. Did you know that your epidermis is showing? (laughs) I freaked out, of course, because I had no idea that my epidermis was, of course, the biological term for my skin. But at those times in my life when my sin is obvious to someone else, it feels like I've been exposed. My epidermis is showing, even though I know that it's always there, always visible to God, no matter how subtle it might be much of the time. Sin finds its root in our hearts in ways that are subtle. Outwardly, all might seem fine to others, but inside our hearts, there is a maelstrom of pride, fear, and disbelief. And if we ignore this subtlety, the subtlety of sin in our hearts, just because we might have managed to keep our nose clean outwardly for a while, we're just like a small child playing hide-and-seek. Have you ever played hide-and-seek with a very young child, two or three years old? You go and hide, or they're supposed to go and hide, and instead of hiding, what do they do? They cover up their own eyes, don't they? Because they believe if they can't see you, then you can't see them. If others don't see my sin, then it's not there, is it? But that's not true. God sees. We cannot hide. Just like Adam and Eve could not hide. God sees the subtlety of sin in our hearts. God saw Adam and Eve and when they had eaten the forbidden fruit, they immediately knew their shame. They tried inadequately to cover their nakedness. And God finds them, though they're hiding. He asks them what they've done. They both blame someone else before admitting that they ate. God's response to sin is swift and immediate. He curses the serpent and he observes the pain that the man and the woman will each bear in this life. But God mercifully removes their shame by killing an animal so that its skin can fully cover their nakedness. At that moment, death truly has entered creation. But in the midst of all of these consequences for sin, in the midst of the consequences for sin in our own life, there is a glimmer, even in Genesis 3, of the promise of redemption and restoration. 
In verse 15, the Lord states that though Eve's offspring will experience conflict with Satan, there will one day be a descendant of Eve who will crush the serpent under his heel. And this is what we remember and celebrate today. Hope comes from outside of ourselves. Thank goodness. Another proclamation from God tells of this hope. Good news. A savior will come. Jesus is Eve's offspring. He was born into sin, even though he himself is sinless. His death atones for the sin of his people. Jesus Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent, Satan, and his victory will be manifest to all the world upon his second coming. But meanwhile, we are invited because of this good news. We are called through this proclamation outside of ourselves to this life of discipleship. Have you ever said no thank you to Christianity? I did for a long time as a child, even though I heard the good news over and over again. Because I knew that if I said yes, then I'd have to live like a Christian. I'd be called to a different existence, a different set of priorities. Maybe more self-denial than I was ready to undertake on my own. Well, the call, the good news, came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, through the announcement of the angel Gabriel. He told her that she would bear the Messiah and Savior, Jesus. And this proclamation of good news was also, though it was not a command or a prohibition, it was a proclamation that would bring to Mary much suffering and even self-denial. What happens with Mary, though? Unlike Eve, unlike Adam, Mary, when she hears this proclamation, she responds obediently. She, though fallen like you and me, responds to that command, um, that, that invitation, by instead of saying no, like her spiritual mother Eve, she says a quiet and courageous yes. Mary says, Behold the servant of the Lord, be it to me according to your word. Mary here shows herself to be the first disciple of Jesus, the first one to receive him with faith and obedience. And it's not enough to say that we must be like Mary and not like Adam and Eve. Looking at both lessons, though, there is something of that proclamation to Mary that's different. There's something of that proclamation to Mary that produces the response in her of a faithful disciple, a faithful Christian, instead of the fallen response of disbelief and rebellion. And that one different thing is that Mary receives unmerited favor. She is filled with grace from outside herself. When the angel addresses her as a highly favored one, In being chosen to be the mother of the Savior, Mary knows that a great honor that she does not deserve on her own merit has been bestowed on her. We too have mercy extended to us from outside of ourselves, unmerited grace. And it produces in our hearts obedience. We receive salvation in the form of this grace, in the form of Jesus' own death. His death covers our shame, atones for our guilt, and removes the stain of our sin. This grace given to us transforms our hearts 
makes it say with joy and gratitude and obedience, yes, Jesus inaugurates and make possible a new era, a new pattern, a new possibility for how broken human beings hear, receive, and submit to the word of God. And so when we hear good news, it's not just a life of self-denial as a Christian. No, we receive good news in the form of grace poured out upon us because of the death of Jesus Christ. Good news is come. Oh, come, let us adore him. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.